Welcome to the More Than Just a Type podcast, a place where we explore what it takes to live your best life. I'm your host, Taja Cato, expert in type 1 diabetes and fat loss, entrepreneur, and lover of all things fitness and personal development. Each week, we'll bring you a tangible tool, tip, or insight that'll inspire you and empower you to take action, achieve your goals, and live your best life. I don't know if you struggle with anxiety, but ever since I was young, so I I struggled with anxiety since I was 11 years old, and I don't know if some of you have struggled with anxiety before you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes or if it kind of came along through your or with your diagnosis, but I really believe that mental health and type 1 diabetes or maybe even diabetes for that matter, like it's not something that is talked about a whole lot, but it is something that's very real. And when I was 11 years old is that's really around the time that my anxiety started. And it was also the year that my parents um, separated. So I think, I mean, I went to so many different therapists and doctors and I went to see naturopaths and I went on, it was like um, some homeopathic medicine. My parents were very into all natural remedies and I I did all of these things and nothing really helped with my anxiety and I had very severe panic attacks and all the doctors that I went to, well, most of them, like the Western doctors, they all said, you know, it's anxiety is caused from traumatic experiences in your childhood because it has something to do with your, like a, your brain signaling um, kind of bringing up like those feelings of when something bad happened and it, it's in a way to like protect you essentially. I'm, I know I'm probably not explaining that very well, but in a nutshell, it's based, anxiety is basically just signaling to your body of another, of some sort of experience in means to protect you. So a lot of people that I talked to said, you know, your parents divorced or separated and like all these things happened that obviously to me were, they were very traumatic at that time. But I also believe that my anxiety has something to do with my diabetes. And that wasn't something that I found out until way later in life, until I was in my mid twenties, actually, um, until I got a CGM that I realized just by looking at my trends, when I was starting to feel major anxiety or a panic attack coming along, I was able to look at my CGM and a lot of the time, well, actually like 99% of the time it is when I am, my, when my blood sugar is going up. So even if I don't have high blood sugar yet, just the feeling inside my body of it going up signals this reaction and I just get really, really bad anxiety. And I, it kind of made sense when I thought back of like what therapists told me in the past of like how anxiety like triggers your body to like protect you. I'm like, oh, like maybe you know, my blood sugar increasing, maybe it's like my body signaling like, hey, this you're going like your blood sugar is raising really fast. This isn't good. So like we, we got to protect you. And so I get anxiety. So that was my, my two cents on the whole thing. But when I do think of back, like when I was 11 years old, my anxiety was so bad. You guys, like my dad would drop me off at my violin lessons and I would get panic attacks. I would not be able to go inside. I, I used to do modeling classes and I would get anxiety going to that. I would literally get anxiety driving in the car. I, it it was so horrible. And then even as a teenager, like I remember 
going to the movies with my boyfriend when I was like 19 or 20 years old and I would literally get into the theater and I'd be like sorry babe like I can't go in like and and my anxiety was so bad it was like things would trigger it like loud noises or these like consistent like I went on vacation with my family and the fan in the in the room that I was sleeping in just the consistent noise of it triggered anxiety for me like I had such bad anxiety that it actually made it so that I couldn't do things which was it's, it's just such a shitty experience like I know if you have anxiety then you know what I'm talking about but the, these like major panic attacks anyways long story short so I haven't had a Dexcom for about a week and I'm waiting for it to arrive, waiting so patiently, but um, it, it I haven't had any struggles with my anxiety. Like the, since I've gotten a Dexcom, I've been so good and I'm, and it's been amazing. But this last week I've had a couple days where I felt like super panicky and I know that it's my anxiety. Like I know I'm fine, but it literally feels like you're, you're going to die. So I, it's just so interesting to me when I think about it because initially I thought like, oh, when my blood sugar is increasing, then I get anxiety or even just, you know, having the Dexcom, just being able to look at your blood sugars all the time and know what they are. It kind of like gives me this calm feeling. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I just kind of like have this, this peace of mind and I know which way my blood sugar is going. So it just all in all helps, but not having it even like I'm, I'm pretty sensitive when it comes to my blood sugar. So I can generally sense when they are going up or down for the most part. But also I just, I, th- I think what has happened is like in the past week, just not even being able to look at my blood sugars. Like that is not even what's causing the anxiety. I think it's just the fluctuations in my body because when I have the Dexcom and I can see with the, with the arrows and I can see if I'm going up or down, I'm able to actually treat my blood sugars or like treat my highs or my lows before they get there. So before my blood sugar gets super high, I'm actually able to treat it. So I'm able to curb that anxious feeling and I'm able to curb those panic attacks before I even like get hit with them. And I've realized this from not having a Dexcom for the last week that since I'm not able to see which direction my sugars are going, I am not able to treat them before they get to whichever way they're going. So I'm just slowly, slowly relying on how my body is feeling. And because of that, I have been hit with more highs and a few more lows than I normally would. And so my anxiety has been at an all time high. So if you, if you have been struggling with anxiety, it may have to do with your blood sugar fluctuations, maybe just something to look at. And if you don't have a CGM, that is one thing that I really truly believe has helped my anxiety. And I just wanted to share that with you because for anyone who is struggling with anxiety, I really believe that just having a CGM of some sort like really does help you just treat those sugars before they get bad and like helps you spot trends and stuff so that hopefully you're, it helps your anxiety if you if it is something that you struggle with like me. So definitely would look into it if um, you have means to do so.
All right, guys, so today we are going to be diving into some questions that you guys have asked me, and I love, love, love doing these episodes because I love just going through your questions and answering them, and I know it's been a little while since we did one of these Q&As, but just as a um, reminder, or just to let you know, if you ever have a question that you want answered, obviously you can message me on Instagram, but if you want your questions to be answered on this podcast, you can go to diabeticfitnessworld.com forward slash podcast and you can submit a question or to make it super easy, you could even uh, take a voice note and email your voice note with your question. So use your phone and just record your voice note of your question, email it to Taja, T-A-J-A at diabeticfitnessworld.com and it will be featured on the podcast. I'll also link to that in the show notes. So before we dive into today's episode, this episode is brought to you by my Fat Loss for Type 1s program. So as you probably already know, I am relaunching the program on September 4th, which is a Wednesday. And for those of you who are new here, welcome. My Fat Loss for Type 1s program is the complete step-by-step blueprint of how to lose fat with type 1 diabetes. So we cover how to keep your blood sugar stable with exercise, what foods to eat, and just all of the ins and outs of diabetes. And I've taken everything that I've learned working with other coaches and fitness professionals and losing weight myself and helping others do the same and then formulated that into a step-by-step application program so you can learn all of the steps yourself. And I'm giving the entire program away for free to one lucky winner. So if you want to enter for your chance to win the complete fat loss for type ones program, just go to diabeticfitnessworld.com forward slash win. So the first question we have is where should I start with losing fat and what should I eat for breakfast? So the very first step that you want to take when it comes to fat loss is you really want to know like how many calories your body needs individually in order to lose fat because no matter if you have diabetes or not, like fat loss comes down to energy balance. And so we tend to make it so much more complicated than it actually is because a lot of the time we'll try all of these different diets and we'll try, you know, we'll think like keto or low carb because these are the things that we hear from other people. But the one thing that we don't take into account and the reason why all of these diets don't often work for us is because we're still not being mindful of how many calories we're actually consuming. So in order to lose fat, it's really important that you are burning more calories than you consume on a daily basis. So that is the very first step that you want to take. And generally speaking, your your caloric intake for fat loss is going to be based on your activity level, your past dieting history, and your current body weight. So those are just a few factors that you'll want to think about. Um, But step number one is figure out how many calories your body needs. And then when it comes to breakfast, the reason why, and for so long, I try, I, I really resisted in giving meal plans to people. So inside of my fat loss for type ones program, I now have a a meal plan that I give people and it's a fully customizable meal plan. But the reason why I resisted for so long is because when it comes to, to our, our individual goals, like we're all so different. And not only 
is our lifestyle going to be different, but how we're affected by different foods is going to be different. And there's really not just a one size fits all approach. And so it can be really challenging to look at what someone else is doing or take a meal plan and think that, you know, that's what's going to give us the best success possible. And also too, when you're, I mean, I've had nutritionists that have given me meal plans in the past that when I was trying to lose weight, like way back in the day and it, they didn't work for me, but it wasn't because the foods weren't good. It was just because, again, I did not have the knowledge about like how many calories I was actually consuming. So that's why it's so important. And if you are going to follow a meal plan, it's important that you're following one that you can customize to your own calories and macros, because again, we're all going to require different amounts of food based on um, just our our individual lifestyle and, and our body. So but I will give you in a nutshell. So when it comes to what you should be eating for breakfast, just as a general rule of thumb, like if you want to keep your blood sugar stable, you really want to choose foods that are going to have more fiber and, you know, you want to be able to consume some protein, obviously some fat, some carbs, just a, a well-balanced meal. And it's also going to depend on how you are, how your body is affected in the morning and how insulin resistant you are. Because for me personally, I am always super insulin resistant in the morning. So therefore I will try to consume less carbs in the morning rather than the afternoon. So that's, you know, something that you'll have to take into account for yourself. But as a general rule of thumb, if you are choosing foods that have more, more fiber, eating a, a source of protein, that's going to keep you feeling more full. So you, that could look like, you know, maybe you eat some low carb bread, a couple slices of low carb bread, like Dave's killer bread or Ezekiel bread or something like that, that has, um, a, a higher content in fiber and fewer calories, that's going to be super important for fat loss because if you're choosing foods that contain more fiber, they are going to most of the time have less calories. And then that way, like you'll just be able to fill up on more high volume foods throughout the day if you're if you're being more mindful of the amount of calories in the foods that you're eating. So I would say if you're going to eat bread, pick something that's not going to spike your blood sugar. So definitely I love Dave, Dave's Killer Bread or Ezekiel Bread. Maybe a couple eggs, depending again on how many calories your body needs. I'm trying to maintain my weight right now. So sometimes I'll have three or four eggs in the morning. That's totally fine for me. You, you can get in your fats, your protein that way. Um, and you could even do things like Greek yogurt with like some berries. You could do maybe like a serving of steel cut oats. Those will generally raise your blood glucose slower than if you were to eat um, just regular like quick oats. And you could even add some protein powder in that as well. So just things like that. So you really want to be mindful of just your, your overall calories for fat loss. But then again, just choosing foods that have more fiber because those are going to keep your blood sugars more stable. Another question we have is, I'm looking to boost insulin sensitivity. And since you are a big believer in strength training, when you first started lifting weights, did you notice any change in how much insulin you needed? This is a really good question. Um, when I think back, I, you know, it's hard. It, it's, I can't remember like how much insulin I was taking back then, um, right off the top of my head. I would say definitely. So there's a few things when you are lifting weights, like it is going to, it does help a lot with increasing your insulin sensitivity because the more muscle that you build and it, especially if you are 
um, trying to lose weight and maintain lean muscle mass in the process, like the, the more muscle you have and the leaner you are, the more insulin sensitive you'll become. So you, you may notice that you are, that your insulin requirements go down. Um, and then you, but there's a few things too, like when you are lifting weights, that alone can increase your, it can make you more insulin resistant while you're lifting weights because any sort of like high intensity training can increase the levels of cortisol in your body and actually raise your glucose levels, but then it'll cause them to come crashing down hours later. So you just want to be aware of that post-workout hypoglycemia. So, um, but all in all, like you, you probably will notice like if you start lifting weights that you, your insulin requirements do get lower and if you're including a little bit cardio in there too like some low intensity cardio that will definitely help as well but in the long term you might even find that and this is what I found personally but like you will you're you'll be more insulin sensitive and if you go a few days without working out without lifting weights say you take a week off you go on holidays or something you might even find that you get a little bit more insulin resistant just taking that time off so I do definitely think that if you are thinking about lifting weights for the sole purpose of increasing your insulin sensitivity, that it's definitely doable for you and it's a great place to start. And when you are first getting started with your program, um, you probably just want to think about a couple of things like you really want to be focusing on progressive overload because that is what's going to facilitate the change needed to actually um, build muscle. And uh, when you first get started, you you just want to be aware of like how your blood sugars are fluctuating because you don't want to lift weights when your blood sugar is high. So that's going to be another thing. And then just um, paying close attention to how your blood sugars are affected while you are training. And then just knowing that you might crash hours later so that will be another thing to to keep in mind and then maybe uh timing your post-workout meal uh, like right after your workout to be something more substantial because that will help stabilize your blood sugars there's just so many things but all in all I, I know this is like a super drawn out answer to your question but I can't remember right off the top of my head how much insulin I was taking back then compared to how it is now, but I can tell you for sure 100% that my blood sugars have gotten a lot better because my A1C has con like considerably dropped <laughs> So, um, in the past few years. So I think it, a lot of it has to do with having a CGM, having a pump, and then also just sticking to a consistent workout routine that has helped a ton. So if you have any more questions on that, then feel free to to um, email it in. I'd love to hear from you. All right, third question. Hello, I still can't get rid of my belly fat. I follow a whole foods diet. I don't really count calories, but each meal is usually between 30 to 45 grams. And I usually try to stick to carbs from fruits, milk products, and mostly starchy veggies. I downloaded your manual, but I wanted to ask you personally any tips you might like to share. My workouts have been a bit limited now. I haven't been pushing as hard as I used to, but try to get at least three to four days a week and incorporate cardio as well as weight training. I've done CrossFit, spinning, running, free weight, etc., and I still have not managed to get rid of the belly fat. Any tips will be most appreciated. I was fascinated by your story. Oh, thank you. Um, so there, yeah, there's a few things that uh, I can think of just right off the bat. So when it comes to 
losing weight, it, it really is important to just, again, keep track of those calories. I know it can sound like a lot of work and it, it was one of those things that I resisted for a long time, but it does make a big difference. And so I would definitely say to to start tracking your food and just track keeping be more mindful of those calories that you are consuming on a daily basis, um, because even little things can add up in calories pretty pretty quickly. And when it comes to the food that you're eating, whether you're eating, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that's 30 to 45 grams of of uh, carbs maybe, um, but it doesn't like it doesn't matter for fat loss. What how many grams of carbs you're eating, how many grams of fa- like fat or protein, it doesn't matter. What matters is um, the amount of calories that you're consuming. So protein, fats, and carbs they all add up to a certain amount of calories per day. So it is important that you are just mindful of your overall calories. And then it again, it doesn't really matter like the the food itself. <laughs> so someone could literally. Uh, lose weight eating donuts all day. And even for a type one diabetic, obviously that's not going to be great for our health. We're probably going to feel like shit if we did that, but it just really comes down to calories all in all. So that is going to be super important. And if you don't use a food scale, I would really recommend uh, investing in a food scale and just getting into the habit of weighing your foods. It's not something you have to do forever. Like you can get the hang of it pretty quick, but not only will that just help your accuracy with how many calories you're consuming because different foods, um, you know, they can be packed differently or different amounts of like different foods will actually weigh different amounts. Like if you're eating something raw or cooked, or if you weigh out like a serving of oats that the, the way the, what am I trying to say here? The weight and like weighing your food and the measurements, they can often be um, pretty inconsistent, like when you're measuring your food in comparison with weighing it. So I always recommend if you are serious about losing weight, I know it sounds like a lot of work, but a food scale is going to help you a ton. So that's another thing. And then if you're working out three to four days a week, I mean, that's perfect. And if you're incorporating cardio and weight training, like you're on the right track and sometimes it can just be like tweaking your workouts a little bit, um, including that progressive overload, that's going to help you a ton. And I know that those things sound pretty minimal, but the like number one, it, it just really does come down to calories. So I would, I would start there and just see how it goes. So I hope that helps you and gives you a little bit more insight of where to start and what to do next. Our final question for today. I was just wondering if you have any tips on traveling. I'm going to Bolivia for one month with school and we're doing about 12 days of trekking. And I was wondering like, what did you, what what you did, I was wondering what you did to make sure your insulin was okay and with spare supplies. Thank you. Okay. First of all, um, your trip sounds amazing. I'm super excited for you. That's going to be so much fun. And when it comes to travel, so when I went trekking, I went trekking in Nepal in 2013. This was before I had a Dexcom and before I had a pump. So I was still using injections and, I was gone for three months. So I was traveling through India and Nepal. And I was actually thinking about the other day because I'm planning to go back to Nepal at some point and do another trek. And I'm like, I don't think that my Dexcom is going to work up there, but we shall see. So when it comes to traveling in general, like I would definitely say 
the the biggest thing is just make sure that you have extra like probably pack more supplies than you think you need and because you never know like what might happen you never know if something might get stolen or if some if you know you just never know and I'm sure that you can get supplies in foreign countries but it might not be you know the supplies that you use and obviously it would be a little bit of a headache so when I was trekking too I I kept half of my diabetes supplies in my backpack I gave half of them to my dad and I think I even gave some of them to my sister so I really kind of like split them up between everyone that I was with so just in case like god forbid something happened to any one of our our bags, you know? Um, so that is one thing. And then I traveled with, I got those like Frio things. So it, it would keep my insulin cool when I wasn't able to refrigerate things. And then when I was staying, I, we kind of roughed it, but it was super awesome. And I would say, you know, try to keep, try to stay in places if you can that have like little mini fridges and then make sure that when you do put your insulin in the mini fridge, like make sure that it's not going to freeze your insulin because you never really know the temperature of the refrigerator that's in the rooms, especially in foreign countries. Like it could be super, super cold and you wouldn't want anything to happen to your insulin. So just check that before you use it. Um, And also when you are I don't know what it's like in Bolivia, but some countries, like I know if you go to China, like even in India, the um, the outlets are different than the United States and Canada. So you just want to make sure if you're charging, like if you do have a pump, you want to make sure that um, you, you bring like the proper outlets. Because I've heard stories of people like charging something and then their pump blowing up, you know, so just make sure that you are set up in that sense. Maybe even bring like a wireless charger, like one of those ones that you can, um, that's like solar powered and that, that you could even get, um, from like a a camping place or something. Those, um, they go like on the back of your backpack. So they're like solar powered things that you could like stick your, your pump or whatever you need to like while you're hiking. So just to like, um, keep it charged, that would be another thing that you could think about bringing. Um, but yeah, in general, I think if you have something to keep your insulin cool, um, and then you just bring backup of everything. And then if there's anyone that you're traveling with, if you can give them some of your supplies to hang on to, that would be super huge. And then if you do have a Dexcom or a CGM, I would, I would just bring like more strips than you think you're going to need because just in case your CGM doesn't work when you're like way up in the mountains trekking, that will be huge. And if you, if you're anything like me, since you're so used to seeing your blood sugars continuously, um, you just kind of want to know like where it's at, you know? So if you're anything like me, you'll probably go through a ton of strips if you can't have access to your CGM. So I would definitely bring as many backup strips as you can. And you can even tell your pharmacy before you leave town, like, Hey, I'm going for three months or whatever, you know, just give them like the longest, um, time that you might be away and maybe even say a little bit longer because you never know, right? Like it's always good to have backup and then they can override and then just give you the amount of supplies to tide you over and then make sure that you have backup as well. So that would be what I would say. And you're going to have an amazing time. So I would love to hear from you and I'd love to know how your trip goes and how everything was. It sounds super amazing. 
Did you enjoy listening to this Q&A? I hope you did. And I hope it was fun to listen to just as much fun as it was for me to record. So if you have a question that you would like featured on the podcast, just go to diabeticfitnessworld.com forward slash podcast or send me a voice note. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to feature your question here on the next Q&A. So next week, we are going to cover managing sugars and diet. And I'm super excited to share this episode with you. So if you guys can just take a couple of seconds to subscribe to this podcast, it'll ensure that you don't miss out as soon as we have these new episodes launched. And if you feel called to do so, please leave me a review. It really does mean so much to me. It means the world. And I will see you back here same time next week.